Welcome to Playback by Playlister, the bi-weekly podcast where you can stay current on technology and leadership ideas that impact you. Here's today's host and Playlister CEO, Grant Glass. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Playback. I'm joined today by Joshua Breland. He's the Director of Communication and Strategic Initiatives for College Park Church. And College Park Church is here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, It's just about five minutes from my house. And it has a very, very cool story of how it began and also how it has thus expanded. And I'm really excited to have Josh on the podcast today because Josh has a lot of experience with creative endeavors and is now, I think, overseeing one of the toughest things to do in a church, which is strategic initiatives and then communicating that out to everybody. (laughs) So Josh, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Yeah. Hey, Grant. Glad to be here. Perfect. So let's let's start with the story of College Park Church. Uh, it's here in central Indiana. But tell us a little bit about how the church got started and where you're at now today. Yeah. So College Park Church is uh, on the north side of Indy, um, right up against Carmel. And College Park started about 35 years ago uh, here in Indy, actually in a, in a Holiday Inn. Um, and uh, a room there, they had a meeting room there, Holiday Inn, called Casino Room B. And so that's that's where uh, the first location of College Park was as nice. a church plant that was uh, made up of some really great people um, who actually are still still uh, at College Park. Many many of whom are still at College Park, and uh, uh, one of them even still on staff is one of our pastors. Uh, but yeah, so College Park's about thirty five years old. Um, started in Indy, uh, we have just grown and grown over the years. Uh, had a a really dynamic uh, preaching ministry. Uh, starting off and and going through um, the first uh, 20 years or so. And um, and then around uh, 10 years ago, we we had the addition of Mark Vroga, our lead pastor. And he has really just continued that that preaching ministry, uh, being uh, rooted in the Word. And really, College Park, as I just run into people uh, all around Indianapolis, I just hear of the um, kind of the the known quantity of College Park is a church that really preaches the Bible and loves God, and uh, and so that's that's kind of our history. Um, just in the past, uh, in the past few years, past five years, we've been able to to plant four churches. Uh, a little more context: we we have around four thousand people join us um, every weekend on any given Sunday uh, for worship. We have around ninety staff, um, and since twenty fifteen, we have planted four uh, churches around Indy um, in Fishers. Castleton, Greenwood, um, and now uh, and now Pike Township. Uh, so, yeah, we're a, we're a church that's, that's dedicated to preaching the word, uh, reaching the people here in Indy, and then also planting churches. Yeah, that's amazing. And the College Park facility is beautiful. You're planting churches across Central Indiana, which is fantastic. And Josh, you you've been with. Uh, the church for three years now. And I think with that size of attendance and the fact you guys are doing church plants and really helping uh, communities that need help, there's a lot on your plate. And you've got, I I think I overheard you say about a staff of 60, which I'm assuming you directly oversee a good 
chunk of those people. Having said that, tell me a little bit about your background, Josh. Uh, you know, what's your personal mission look like, and how has your professional experience played into your ability to execute as the communication and strategics um, director at College Park? Yeah, we have around ninety staff, um, and. And I have the just incredible joy of leading a six-person communications team here that is a shared services communications team. So we serve uh, the the church plants uh, for a couple of years until they become self-governing. Um, but yeah, to so my background, I am uh, I'm 33. I am married with uh, three daughters uh, under seven years old, uh, six, <laughs> four, and two. So I am super adult, busy right? at home and yeah, just have right. an amazing wife who who uh, who helps keep us all sane. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been entrepreneurial really um, since I was a kid. I remember being 12 years old and, and selling uh, handmade duck calls I'd made at school to my fellow sixth graders. And it's funny, like I've just been reflecting on this a bit just the past few years as, as I do other entrepreneurial things. Um, I have a creative agency and, and also uh, just try to, to launch, uh, uh, grow and launch software products as well. You know, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial uh, people um, are, are mostly born, you can be made, but mostly born. And just thinking about it, um, over the past few, few months, um, I, I, I really didn't even know I was being entrepreneurial for most of my life. And then just the older you get, you start seeing patterns of, of, uh, of doing things, trying to build things, um, trying to provide value, um, trying to, to win people. And, uh, and there's a lot of failures along the way. And I think once you start getting failure after failure, after failure, um, you start realizing who you are because you you have to examine deeply um, what that what that looks like in your own soul, and so yeah, I mean I, I also just have done a lot of different things. It's weird. I'm I'm only 33, but I feel like I've lived uh, multiple lives. I uh, I was uh, uh, drove tanks in the Army National Guard. I was in a band out in out in Colorado and played all over Colorado. Uh, the Lord saved me about 10 years ago, uh, living out in Boulder, Colorado, and. Uh, and it's just turned my life um, completely upside down since. And I went to a Christian college um, down in Louisiana and, and later a seminary out in North Carolina. And, uh, and now when I look back about, and I look back and think about all that the, the Lord had prepared me for, even as an unbeliever, to now use that for his glory, it, it's, really, uh, it's really just compelling for me to, to stay the course and, and be faithful where the Lord has me. And that's at College Park. Yeah, I'm curious, out of your experience you spoke of, being a founder, because you do have, uh, a, you're building a software product, you have your own creative agency. And also, I've, you know, an entrepreneur myself, it is about failing 10,000 times and then understanding what to learn from it. And it's really like the obstacles, the way the harder that it gets means I'm moving in the right direction. And I, I think that type of mindset can really be interpreted as some of the teachings that you learn from the Bible as well. I'm, I'm always, when I'm talking to a founder, you know, how do you deal with all of those failures? And if you had to pick one failure, you know, what is really, I, I, what's really shaped you, right? I mean, what, what have you learned from your prior experiences that helps you today at reflecting back on it? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's there's so many grant. Um, I think too, the the older you get, and the the more you experience, the more you realize that 
that there's a lot of truth in cliche. And I feel like I feel like we live <laughs> <Yes>. our twenties. <20s, laughs> uh, we live our twenties making fun of cliches, and then now we get to live our thirties <laughs> acknowledging the truth behind cliches. <laughs> yes, and uh, and just I mean, fail fast. I mean, that's the that's the quick one. Um, just fail fast. Mm-hmm. Don't don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, do do um, kind of incremental testing on on new ideas, new products, new services, um, and then fail fast. You know, measure, 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 and fail fast so you can move on uh, to the next thing. And you know that that's uh, particularly difficult at at larger churches, especially larger churches that that are uh, you know thirty plus years old. Um, but it's still something we try to do. We try to be incremental. We try to be uh, good stewards with our with our money and with our resources, with time. Um, so that's one, just fail fast. Um, and then also, someone told us a, a few years ago, um, it's never as good as you think it is, and it's never as bad as you think it is. Mm. And that just kind of keeps your heart in the right place. Because when you're an entrepreneur, or you're a, a church planter, or um, you know whatever you're doing, there's going to be highs and lows. And... Uh, you, you have to guard your heart, especially, especially in um, in church work, where you are putting every fiber of your being behind, you know, the sermon or a church plant or the development of this team. Um, you just guard your heart and trust the Lord. It's never as good as you think it is, and then it's never as bad as you think it is. Yeah, that's great. That's great, Josh. I'm going to add one of those sayings that I always tell myself: "Is perfect is the enemy of good enough." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought up fail fast. That's come up actually time and time again with a lot of churches that I feel like are making a huge impact on the community. Christ Church of the Valley, uh, Ben Godwell, who's uh, one of their pastors, came on the show. That was like five or six months ago. And he pointed out a book. It's called Creativity Inc. And it's actually written by the president of Pixar, Ed Catmill. And one of his big things is failure and learning from failure and failing fast. And he really adopts that mindset at Christ Church of the Valley. And I think that's actually a really hard thing to do for some churches to do is to understand it's okay and moving at light speed and failing fast. Because that's the way that a lot of companies are operating today, especially startup companies. And if you get into the mindset of your church being able to impact the most people possible, then you need to you have to operate kind of under the mindset that a startup would operate in. It's like you've got metrics, you're trying to impact people, you're trying to change the community. So how are we measuring thing, these things and how are we doing it? And if you take the approach of a, a startup founder, well, boom, you got it. And it sounds like that's the perfect marriage. But yet there's this, I think, weird sense in thinking, oh, well, we can't... Like, that's weird to to consider myself a startup founder because that's a business and I work at a church, but it's not about the business aspect. It's about the, the mindset and the core values and measuring it aspect. And that's what I, it, I, I love. I just really love that you said that failed fast. That's so cool. And I think that leads us to our next question is really like, there's a lot of challenges in church today. I mean, it's come up in this podcast numerous ch- times and I'm curious to like to understand from you, what challenges are you seeing in your day, day to day, month to month, uh, in in your world and your organization, Josh? 
Yeah, you know, this is something I've been thinking about uh, in the past year uh, really heavily. You know, we, we launched a new assimilation process at College Park recently, um, how to take someone from site to seat and then uh, take them through a, a, a process to join the church. And it's been super successful. We had, uh, we had more people uh, join the church in our first quarter this year than all of last year. And, Amazing. you know, we attribute a lot of that to this, this process. Um, that we were able to come up with. And, and really, you know, I think one of the hardest things that, that churches are dealing with today is providing experiences that really um, help people engage. And, you know, the startup space and even large businesses and large products, uh, they're creating incredible experiences seven days a week. And the church has one to two days a week to provide a life-changing <laughs> experience. Yeah. And so, and so, I mean, you look at any software company, you look at all of the um, customer experience um, resources. You look at how they're constantly thinking and, and watching and tracking through data and analytics, how people are using their products, what people want, um, trying to reduce friction. Um, people are living seven days a week in that mm-hmm. environment in 2019. Mm-hmm. And so what we can do as a church is either acknowledge that and, and try to... Um, try to think deeply about how the Lord would have us steward our resources and steward um, that precious time that we have with these people, or we could just completely ignore it and say, Oh, we're just going to do what we always do. And, uh, and kind of let the chips fall. And so I think churches just increasingly as people are having these just incredible experiences and, and these are just basic places too. I'm thinking of places like target, um, movie theaters, um, apps, um, as people are having these great experiences when they come to your church, are they feeling like they're walking back in time mm-hmm. and, and are they doing that unnecessarily? So do you, mm-hmm. are you creating hurdles by not changing and by not uh, uh, doing things just a little different than you have before? So I yeah. think that's a, a really big problem that churches are going to have to address to stay. Um, um, so sticky is one of the words that has often been used in church culture, but how do they provide just a really powerful, engaging experience to someone who comes um, to your church for the first time, but also um, subsequent times after that, and then even joining and helping them become somebody who provides that experience? Yeah, spot on. You've got brands interacting with folks and companies interacting with folks all week long. I call it the Amazon effect. People are on their phones, they're in Amazon, they're tapping, they're buying, they're getting stuff. <laughs> that's the Apple effect. I'm used to things working quickly, no hurdles, no blockers. They, every, the society's now used to that. And now they step into church, which is supposed to be you know, a sacred, holy place. Yet the experience is so jarring that maybe it is like a, a, a portal back in time, but not necessarily in a good way. And that, what I just said, people go, oh, no you can't say that type of thing, right? That's no, 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 no. But listen, we're, we're trying to impact people's lives and impact the community which we live in. And in order yep. to do that, you have to shake off this mindset of, for some reason, the church has to operate differently. It needs to evolve to operate in which the way society operates today. That is the only way you stay relevant. And I think some of these churches across the country are beginning to understand that. 
and a, and and once you apply that type of mindset, then you can actually make a huge impact on the community. Just look at some of the most successful churches in some of the most in the biggest states in our country, and then you just look at the type of impact that they've had on the community. You take a look at their website, the stories, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is what's uplifting the nation here. It's not government. It's not welfare. It's not this. It's the local church that has embraced a way of thinking that could maybe be argued as counterintuitive, yet it is the is the best way to think. And I don't know. So th- this, I think, brings us to our next question perfectly is like, Josh, how do you see churches evolving over the next few years? What is their place in the 21st century? How do they make an impact? Where Where is this evolution taking us? Yeah, I think I think College Park and and other large churches are going to start using um, uh, data and analytics more and more, um, and and really for that that purpose of how do we how do we shepherd our people well, how do we steward our resources well, and you know it's, it's not a surprise to you, Grant, that churches are usually late adopters to a lot of new tech and a lot of new kind of social norms, and uh, so I think now is the time for churches to really. Uh, start engaging more with data and um, and feedback loops as well, um, so that we can we can reach people uh, with the most impact we can, and so that we can provide experiences that are that are super engaging, and that ultimately lead people to a closer walk with the Lord. You know, our mission at College Park is to ignite a passion to follow Jesus, and I truly believe that um, you know what our what our worship pastor Eric Anderson does with his team and providing a an incredible worship experience, what our guest services team does with welcoming people um, and, and putting them on a path to, to learn more about uh, College Park through our Discover event and our assimilation process. Um, and then even a communications team, as we think through that, how do we ignite a passion to follow Jesus um, in people at College Park and, and around Indy? Data and analytics are going to really uh, be a helpful tool for us going forward. And I think on the on the kind of downside, I think smaller churches are going to struggle to do that. Um, but I still think they need to. I think they need to do the hard work. And yeah. and maybe the KPI for smaller churches with uh, the key performance indicator for smaller churches with data is not so much, you know, the the scale of data, uh, but are you even doing it? You know, just get started. Uh, start measuring. Uh, start. Start figuring out your front door and your back door. Um, start thinking about how many people are on your site and how many people are coming to your, to your seat. Why, does that make sense? Should that be more? Um, what can we do to make that better? Um, those types of things. So yeah, I think yeah, just in summary, I think data and, and analytics are going to be uh, really the future of, uh, of, of the church. Yeah. If you're not measuring it, it doesn't matter. And to just... I think reinforced what Josh said there. We had another guest from Crosspoint, Aaron Westerman. He came on the show. He's the director of IT in Crosspoint's Tennessee in Tennessee, one of the largest churches in Tennessee. And he talked about using data. And we had a, a, a fun discussion about Disney, Disney World. Now you've got three kids, I've got two kids, and uh, the uh, the when you go to Disney World, uh, the characters actually know your kids' names. Now they know <laughs> that because your kids are wearing a wristband, 
And there's a sensor in the wristband that then tells the, the character through an earpiece the name of the kid. Now, that's data at its finest, right? But that right there creates a, a, a magical experience that just has... I, I, I've never seen it before. It's just like, oh my gosh, uh, Cinderella knew my name. And it's just like, but that's using data, right? And, and absolutely. I, by using that data, it then transforms the experience. Now, yeah, yeah. What Aaron was saying is, churches need to embrace using that type of data to make a transformational experience. Because to your point, Josh, you only got one day. You only got maybe two hours, and you got to have a huge impact. That now society is like used to these like magical experiences that data and technology provides to them. The expect the bar is so high. It is. And if yep. they walk in there on church on Sunday and they're not having the type of experience that they just are used to, man, you're gonna have an uphill battle. You really are. And that's where just hearing you trying to embrace those things, I applaud you for that. Uh, that that is the way to go, and I, I've heard that time and time again by a lot of really cool people that are leading churches across the country. So kudos to you. Um, that that's awesome to hear. So I'm going to take it to the last question, Josh, and this is my favorite. Yes, uh, everybody that listens to the podcast knows that uh, leaders are readers, and I've had a couple of conversations with you, and I know uh, you've got. You're, you're a book guy. You've got you've read a lot of similar yeah. books than I have. Uh, let's do it, brother. What are the what's your favorite books? What books do you recommend the most? What book should I be reading? I've got Amazon queued up, and I'm ready to put it in the cart. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, I, so I am, what are you reading now? I'm totally. You... <laughs> I'm totally a book nerd. Um, I I actually worked in the the theological library and, and seminary and. You know, just walking through the stacks there, it was just incredible. I was like a kid in a, in a candy shop. But yeah, I mean, leaders are readers. I said that recently. Um, I said that recently, tongue in cheek, to uh, to one of the folks on our communications team, and they they kind of rolled their eyes and laughed. You know, but it's true. It it really is true. And like I said earlier, you know, in your 30s, you're embracing cliches. So I'm embracing that one 100. <laughs> so I think uh, I love it. <laughs> so I, I've got a few books just on my mind. You know, last year I went through just a lot of changes, um, just a lot of changes. One of which was I lost seventy pounds, and good for you. The way I lost seventy pounds was through um, this really helpful book by Charles Duhigg called "The Power of Habit." Oh, great and, book! Um, have you read that? I have. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's just it's just incredible. Um, you know, it's really as somebody who's really goal oriented. Um, that's really only half the battle. You also need to be systems and process oriented. And, and only when you um, uh, make daily habits will you then be successful in those future goals. Only by having systems in place uh, to do the things that you need to do, right? So you can plan the work, but then you've got to work the plan. Mm-hmm. Only by having systems do you actually, are you actually successful in those goals. And so The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, uh, can't recommend that, that enough. Uh, another book that's been on my mind is, is Measure What Matters by John Dewar. Um, yeah. This is... Uh, this OKRs, is a, baby. Uh, OKRs. Um, yeah. This is a, a, a guy who was in the, 
startup scene back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. First founder in, uh, and first investor in Google. Yes, yes. So he he saw these these big uh, giant startups, these big unicorns, um, back when they were just little babies, and mm-hmm. uh, and he saw what what they were doing to build these, and uh, a lot of it had to do with OKRs, objectives, and key results. Um, so just a fascinating book on on uh, with stories about how those companies grew, how they led teams, how they aligned teams, um, just how to think through what's what's important next. Um, yeah, super super helpful measure what matters. Um, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Oh, Wee. yeah. I can and talk about read that, that last year. Yeah. Yeah, and just, just having a, an Army background myself, um, it just really hit me deep. I mean, uh, all of your experiences in your life will, will form you into to who you are today, even years past those experiences. And Extreme Ownership really tapped into just some foundational things that I learned in the Army about discipline. And discipline equals freedom. And when you're, when you're diligent in the inches, you get excellence in the miles and, and that's just throughout the book is, uh, uh, how to, how to apply discipline to yourself, to team. Um, another great point in there is how to decentralize command and, and really get over your ego. It's just mm-hmm. super important. Um, especially in a startup environment where there's just a lot of big personalities. And I'd say that for, for large churches too. Um, there's a, there's a lot of large personalities <laughs> and, and being able to lead from a, from a godly center, and not an ungodly ego is, is, uh, it's vital. I mean, it's the only way uh, to be successful in, in ministry. So yeah, yeah those, those three books have really helped me uh, tremendously in the past year. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about each three of those for a sec, because right all three, uh, they're fantastic. I mean, um, if, if I, I had to pick, I'd go extreme ownership first. Jocko Wilnick for anybody who's not familiar uh, was a Navy SEALs, inside of Iraq, uh, part of the door-to-door combat that was happening, I think, uh, in Fallujah. And he really talks about uh, a lot of lessons that helped me as just a leader. One of the big ones I love from that book is, and this is really crazy to internalize and make sense of everything is your fault. When it boils down to it as a leader, everything is your fault. And if you can really incorporate that into the team mindset, it can transform everything. There's a story from in the book where they're training Iraqi soldiers to go out on patrol and there's friendly fire and one of the Iraqi soldiers is hit and killed. And they call in everybody to the room and say, okay, what happened? Why did that happen? And all the Navy SEALs in the room said, it was my fault. All of them did. And, and they explained mm. why it was their fault. And it's such a powerful thing to say, wow, if everybody in the room says, hey, that was my fault, and they say why, it can really transform a team. So love extreme ownership. Love that you brought that up. Uh, measure what matters. That, that's a big one. OKRs. So it's, you and I talked about this at lunch a little bit. Um, OKRs yeah. uh, are a, a objective key results. So it's you're measuring what you want to accomplish. And I think my hypothesis is this is one area where some churches struggle is what are the OKRs for the church? And it's like, well, you can't have OKRs as a church. We're not a business. It's like, well, no, 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 no. We're talking about how are you impacting the community? Like, are you measuring that? If you're not measuring it, it doesn't matter. So yeah, you have to have some sort of number to measure it by. 
And there's a great case study in the book about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now they're making a huge yeah. impact globally and they have OKRs. They've implemented this system. And I encourage everyone in the audience to read this book and implement OKRs at your church because it's a way you can transform your congregation to make an impact on the community by measuring what matters. And you got to do it. Got to yeah. do, do it. And yeah. then the final and, and it, Go ahead. No, no. Yeah. Hey, just, just to put a footnote there, just it's the ability for large organizations, um, large churches to have different uh, departments or in churches, they're typically ministries, to have those ministries um, all aligned around these different um, or same objectives is huge. And, and he talks about it in there about how these different uh, departments in this company, um, even though their departments had certain objectives, there were larger company-wide objectives, organization-wide objectives, that even as they were doing their work in their different departments or you know, in churches and ministries, uh, they were able to do their work in a way that contributed to the overall church's objectives. Mm-hmm. And that kind of uh, uh, kind of large alignment and, and pooling of resources and manpower um, is really, I think, what's missing in a lot of large churches as, as we all fight uh, siloed ministries, um, as we fight kind of just to head down, I'm too busy in my own spot. I can't be worried about what else is happening church-wide or in that other ministry. OKRs could be a really helpful tool for large churches that are trying to break out of their silos. I agree. And what is the common goal that we're working on? (laughs) What's great is the last book you recommended, The Power of Habit, or the first book you recommended, The Power of Habit, there's a great story in there. And oh gosh, I think it's like Alco is the name of the, uh, is a Fortune 500 company and new CEO came on board and they were trying to search for like the main goal of the company. And you know, a lot of companies think, well, how can we drive revenue or how, how can we get more like top line revenue? And he said, the goal is going to be worker safety. We're not going to have any accidents because I think they, they did steel mill yeah. or something like that. They had workers there and he said, the goal is not to have any accidents inside of the steel mill. And that was the OKR. Now, what was fantastic about this OKR was by not having any accidents, inside the steel mill, it actually increased productivity because there's less accidents, less inspections, less meetings. So it kind of just snowballed and trickled into improving all areas of the business by this one great OKR that they centered on and then just built up this habit of doing things the right way around this OKR. So I love how all of your books really can be read in concert of each other and provide a great leadership manual for anyone in any department, church, business, whatever. So that's fantastic. It's almost like we planned this, Josh, but we didn't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Josh, we're going to add these to the show notes. Thank you so much, brother for coming on the show today and chatting a little bit with us. This has been a great episode. I've had a fantastic time chatting with you and I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Grant. Glad to be here. And uh, just really excited what, what you've got going on and uh, you're helping churches um, uh, in, a, in a particular problem. And so we're, we're, uh, we're glad to, to know you here in Indy and, and I'm glad to spend some time with you today. 
All right. Thank you, Josh. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, brother. We'll see you. All right. See you, Grant. For more ideas or to simply learn more about today's podcast, visit us online at www.playlister.app forward slash podcast.